Father, what beautiful truth. What everlasting truth that is. God, I pray our hearts would really believe what our mouths have just sung. That there is none like you. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was crucified for our sin and raised to life. That as we repent of our sin and confess him as our Lord and Savior, we may have newness of life and walk in the freedom that Christ came to give. Father, may it be so here today. I pray this would be a place of freedom today. Finding new life in Christ and Father, as your spirit leads and convicts and prompts us, those areas of our lives, we are not walking in freedom. We are not walking in slavery. We are, we are running to other things as our refuge. God, when we need to be running to you, because you're the only one whose love never fails. You are the only one who is perfectly good. You are the only one who can restore us and refine us and sanctify us and save us and redeem us for your glory. Father, may it be so here today. Find humble hearts, teachable hearts, coming under the authority of your word, casting off our pride and looking to you, Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. God, may we find our hope only in you. All to you, Lord, be the glory. Be with my mouth today. Guard me from error. Let every word that is spoken, Lord, be from your mouth to your church today. Build it as you see fit for your glory. But I pray we would leave here changed and loving you more than when we walked in this morning. May it be so, Lord. Church, if you agree in the name of Jesus Christ, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, what a blessing, church, it is to be back here with you this morning after being a couple weeks away on vacation. I just thank you so much for uh, your prayers for us, those of you who sent a text or when I got back and checked my email just to see those there that you were praying for us and that just meant the world. It means the world to us and so we thank you for that but I'm not going to lie, we're pretty stoked to be back with our church family. We missed you. We love you very much. And we are thankful for the men that came and stood in this pulpit over the last two weeks. And I've listened to their messages and, and uh, I was just so blessed by the faithfulness and their desire for the word of God to go forth. And they are, are men who are growing and I love them very much. Well, this is a very exciting Sunday. If there's any idea um, that we walked in here with this morning that says, we're just going to kind of coast into the end of the summer and then ramp up for the new ministry year in the fall, uh, let's just toss that out right now. Okay, how many of you believe, a little straw poll, how many of you believe right now that God can change a life today? I love to see the hands. How many believe right now that God actually wants to speak to you today and that you're not here by accident? Hands up? Okay, so that's our starting board, which means we can come to every single service, whether it's on August, what's the date today? August 13th, or whether it's September 10th, ministry kickoff, knowing and expecting in full confidence that God desires to meet with us. Okay? And if we are willing to humble ourselves under his word, I guarantee you he will not disappoint because he cannot disappoint. All right? All right, so we are kicking off our final series of the summer, and we're going to spend the next three weeks in Psalm 118. Psalm 118, and this series is called uh, His Steadfast Love Endures Forever. And the title of this morning's message is A Love That Endures. And we will be looking at different aspects of God's love and what it means for us as his people to live within it. We're going to look at verses 1 to 9 today. And if you do not have a Bible, please put up your hand nice and high so that our ushers are coming forward right now to place one in your lap. We take the word of God seriously, and we want to make sure you have a copy of it in front of you. So if you do not have a Bible, raise it up and our ushers will be there to do that. Psalm 118 verses 1 to 9. And as we kick off this series, we're gonna, I'm going to start out with um, literally, uh, not over-exaggerating, uh, one of the most important questions of your life that you need to answer literally every moment of every day. Okay? Ready? We're going to kick it off. It's going to set the tone. Here it is. Do you truly believe in your heart and not just in your head, ready, ready, that God is good all the time and that he loves you? 
Careful how you answer. Careful. Let me repeat it. Do you truly believe in your heart and not just in your mind that God is good all the time and that he loves you? God is good all the time. And if so, if that's true for you, does your life reflect that? What about the hard times in the past? What about in the abuse? What about in the joblessness? What about when the fear is crushing your heart? The anxiety is gripping you. The sickness is overwhelming you. The disappointment continues. What about then? You see, the battle in answering this question is one of the greatest of our time. And whether we realize it or not, we are engaging in that battle every day in every situation we face. The question comes down to, do I believe God is good in this moment and that he loves me? See, because there's a problem. There's a problem. Um, Most people, including Christians, will say that they believe this, but the posture and pursuit of their hearts in the situations they face show anything but that. They say, yes, they say, yeah, I believe God is good and he loves me, but then they run right back to the anxiety. They run right back to the unforgiveness. They run right back to the pride, right back to the anxiety, right back to the hurt. But oh yeah, I believe God is good, really? And you say, well, well, why is this so important? Because, loved ones, it is this. How you answer this question will determine not only your pursuit of God, but also your ability to trust him and receive his unfailing love towards you in each situation you're facing. That's what's at stake. Your pursuit of God and your ability to trust him and receive his enduring love for you in it. And here in Psalm 118, the people of Israel are confronted with this question. Little, little context for you, okay? This is a psalm of thanksgiving. A psalm of thanksgiving written to celebrate God's steadfast love. Okay, as the people are coming up, picture this, the people of Israel are coming up to Israel in a joyful procession back up to Jerusalem. Now we don't exactly know the the circumstances surrounding this but what we do know is that the Lord has just performed a great deliverance to them from the hands of their enemies some say Moses wrote this and he's writing it on as he looked back over the Red Sea exodus from Egypt others scholars will say that this psalm was written as the Israelites were coming out of 70 years in exile from Babylon and coming back to the uh, to Jerusalem And laying the cornerstone of the temple. We don't know for sure. But what we do know is here in the celebration of God's people, we see three crucial truths about God's love that we must embrace if we are to live our lives in the fullness of it and embrace him in it. Three crucial truths of God's love we must embrace if we are to live our lives in the fullness of it and embrace him through it. And to honor the word of the Lord, I'm going to ask that you stand with me this morning as we read through these first nine verses. Psalm 118, his steadfast love endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. 
It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, God's love for me never fails. I must give thanks to him for his goodness. I must give thanks to him for his goodness. Look at verse one. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. The Hebrew word there for thanks. Now, what does it mean to give thanks? Okay, we have a lot of preconceived notions about that in society today. But the Hebrew word there for thanks means a genuine confession or acknowledgement that God is good. A genuine confession or acknowledgement that God is good. It's not going through the motions and just saying, yeah, God's good. Yeah, okay, I've heard God's good and uh, God's good. But a genuine acknowledgement of gratitude for what God has done and who he is and confidence in his goodness. The psalmist starts off here by calling the people of Israel. It's this assembly that's going on. Picture that. They're all gathering, marching up to Jerusalem. And he calls the people to genuine thanksgiving, reflection, and recognition of the goodness of the Lord for his steadfast love on behalf of his people in delivering them in the past. He's calling them to reflect, give thanks, acknowledge the goodness of God in his steadfast love. Now that word, okay, this is, I don't often quote the Greek or Hebrew words, but this is an important one we need to get. One of the most important in all of scripture that describes God's steadfast love. The Hebrew word there for steadfast is this, ready? Chesed, y'all say that with me? Chesed, get the guttural going. One more time, chesed, okay? Chesed, love, which means this, covenant loyalty, covenant. When God makes a covenant, it's not going to be broken. A covenant loyalty, unbreakable kindness, that word means, and favor. That's awesome. Nothing touches that. God makes a covenant of steadfast love with his people and his kindness towards them that is unbreakable. How many people just needed to hear that this morning? It's unbreakable. It's not waffling based on your decisions or their outcomes. This is the strongest word used to describe God's love in Scripture. And the very fact that he repeats it four times in the first four verses tells you God means business on it. My steadfast, covenant, unbreaking love will endure forever. It means this is a love like no other. It endures forever and will never, get this, get this, and take great confidence, courage, and faith in this, if you are in Jesus Christ today, will never fail to uphold, strengthen, and care for his people. It will not break because God is the one who sustains it. The closest picture we have of this is marriage. But marriage doesn't even come close to the level of covenant loyalty that God has for his people. He goes on in verse 2 to 4. Let Israel say, who's this, who's this love for? Gives us a description. Let Israel say, the nation, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, the priest, the spiritual leaders, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord Say, his steadfast love endures forever. That word fear there, the Hebrew word for fear, means to honor, reverence, or be surrendered to the Lord out of love for him. Okay? To honor or reverence him with their lives. So what we see here, the psalmist uses these three groups of people within the nation of Israel to indicate that God's love is for all people who fear him. It's not based on what you do. Hey, if I don't sin for a week, God's steadfast love is that much more for me. Eh, Wrong. Hey, if I just memorize certain passages of scripture and I can quote all of Romans 8 by memory, yay, God's steadfast love increases. Eh, There's no partiality in it. It's covenant loyalty for 
everyone who calls on his name. Okay, live in the text for a moment. Live in the text. Picture what's going on here. You're an Israelite walking up to Jerusalem and you have just seen God do a great work on your behalf. He has just delivered you. And instead of saying, the worship leader who is the psalmist, who's at the front of this procession, instead of saying, great, great, God did that. Now let's get on to the next thing and ask God for more stuff. Notice he doesn't say that. What's the first thing? The first thing you're called to do is to reflect and recognize. Those are two key words for today. Reflect and recognize God's love for you and goodness towards you in bringing you through that situation in the past. That's the first step. It's not going on to the next thing. It's stopping, reflecting, and recognize. If we want to add as a good pastor will do some alliteration, it's resting, reflecting, and recognizing. Thought you'd all appreciate the extra R a lot more than you did. All right, so here's the thing though. Here's the thing, right? It's not to go on asking for the next thing. Why? Why is this so crucial? Because here it is. You'll see it on the screen. Write this down. Remembering the goodness of God is the first step to living in gratefulness to God. In essence, it keeps us from taking God for granted and what he's done and forgetting Remembering the goodness of God is the first step to living in gratefulness to God. Man, there is so much power in the grateful life. And do you notice this, church? You notice this? Maybe just me. That we spend way more time requesting things from God than reflecting on the goodness of God. And yes, there's a time to request. Jesus says you don't have because you don't ask but not at the cost of reflection ever. Way more time we spend requesting than reflecting on God's goodness and giving him thanks for what he's done for us already. Way more. And it's no wonder, it's no wonder as a result that we so quickly forget what God has done for us and as a result, here's what happens. The thankless life becomes anxious, worried, and fearful about the situation we're facing now because you're not stopping to remember what God already did. Remembering his goodness, giving thanks to him for that. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, you'll see it on the screen. Paul puts it this way. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. People say, well, what's God's will for me in this? Here's God's will, for this is the will of God for you. In Christ Jesus, give thanks. Right there where you are right now. In the uncertainty, in the sickness, in the worry, in the fear, in the anxiety. What's God's will for you in that moment? Give thanks. Why? Why is this so important? Thankfulness, loved ones, is such a powerful weapon against anxiety. Thankfulness is such a powerful weapon against fear. And you notice this. Try this experiment this week. Your level of thankfulness and remembrance and recognition of what God has done is inversely proportional to your level of anxiety you experience. Let's break that down even more. Less anxiety, more thankfulness. More anxiety, less thankfulness. Happens all the time. More fear, less thankfulness. More anxiety, more worry, more doubt. Less thankfulness and gratitude and recognition. That's why God says it's the will of God for you in that circumstance to give thanks. Because here, I love how James McDonald puts this. He says, gratitude or thankfulness, gratitude is the attitude that sets the altitude for our living. So true. Gratitude is the attitude that sets the altitude for our living. More thankfulness, more faith, more confidence in the Lord, more thankfulness, more recognition. Less thankfulness down here, more anxiety, more fear, more doubt, more worry, cripple, 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 cripple. cripple. 
But instead of living with this posture, loved ones, of gratitude and thankfulness and remembering what God's already done for us, which leads us to joy, which leads us to faith, which leads us to confidence in him, we often live with the mentality of this. Maybe it's just me. I, just, I struggle with this all the time. Yeah, yeah, God, I know you did that before. But now this situation's different. This looks a whole lot harder. God, yeah, yeah, you did that before. But now this one looks way harder. And I don't know if I can count on you again because, yeah, okay, you did that. But now this. Does that ring true for anyone besides me? Yeah, I love seeing that. Yeah, okay, cool. We're on the same page. All right? We are so quick to easy to forget. And I don't know if I can count on you again. Well, this is where your anxiety creeps in. This is where your worry. This is where your doubt. This is where your faithlessness, your fear. This is where it comes from. Anxiety, well, let's put it this way. Thanklessness is the breeding ground for anxiety. I'll tell you that right now. Doubting the goodness of God is bred in the heart of thanklessness and gratitude for what God's already done and remembrance. And the truth is this, loved ones, to encourage you this morning. Your situation may be different than the one before. The situation may seem a lot more extreme that you're facing right now. But the God, know this, but the God who has authority over that situation isn't any different. Amen? That's a good spot for an amen. Let's try it again. Amen? Yeah, the God who has authority over that situation, who has authority over that sickness, who has authority over that joblessness, who has authority, he hasn't changed. If you don't believe me, just on your own time, look at Malachi 3.6. It's quite simple. I, the Lord, don't change. Okay, done. And when our fear is in the Lord, notice how in verse four, he says that those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. When our fear is in the Lord and we want to honor him and there's reverence and love and respect of a surrendered life to him, hey, here's the reality. No matter what you're facing, you always have reason to rejoice. When your fear is in the Lord, you always have reason to rejoice because of his covenant, unbreaking, enduring love for you. And we can give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and love for us, no matter if we've been delivered already, as the Israelites were here, or we're still waiting for deliverance to come. We can give thanks right there. So how about you? What about me? What altitude are you living at? What's your altitude? Are you taking time to remember God's goodness towards you in the past in confronting that situation you're in right now? Are you taking time to recognize, rest, and reflect? In the job search, in the health issue, in the addiction, in the family situation, because here's what we have to remember today, and I pray you are comforted and encouraged by this this morning. Loved ones, God will never act in any way but out of love towards you. Do you believe that? God cannot act in any way but out of love towards you. He is love. Are you intentionally taking time and giving thanks to him for his goodness? That his love for his children is loyal, will never be broken, and he is a good father who will always work each situation in our lives for our good as we trust him through it. There's no question about it. The question is, will you believe it? God's love for me never fails. I must give thanks to him for his goodness. And from this posture of thanksgiving, we can then have the confidence to realize that God's love for me never fails. I must call on him in my distress. Because God's love for me never fails, I must now call on him in my distress. Look at verses five. Look at verse five first. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. I just love it. 
Love it. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered and set me free. The psalmist now moves from the corporate praise with the people. See what happened there? Now he uses the word I. No longer let the people. Now he's going into personal testimony. Okay? He's going into a personal testimony for the reason for that praise. He's just exhorted the people in the first four verses. And how he called on the Lord in his distress and the Lord answered and supported him. So those first four verses have set the tone. And now the rest of the psalm that we'll look at over this week and the next two weeks are all unpacking why they can say that so confidently that he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Now comes the unpacking. Ready? And in distress, notice where he says, out of my distress I call on the Lord. What's that? What does that mean? What does that mean? That, look, that can look different to different people. What does it mean? It means this. Hebrew word means this. Pain, anxiety, sorrow. That's what distress means. So let's insert it back into the verse to get the full meaning. Out of my pain, I called on the Lord. Out of my anxiety, I called on the Lord. Out of my fear, I called on the Lord and he answered me and set me free. And that word called there, he says, I called on the Lord. It means to cry out to God for his help as your only hope. It's not a, hey, I'll put in a call to God and then I'll call out to my business to save me. I'll put in a call to God and then I'll call out to my bank account. I'll put in a call to God and then I'll call out to getting a spouse. Calling to the Lord means all of your hope is in him. Now notice what he says, verse six and seven. Well, let me ask, I just feel so prone. I gotta ask the question. Who are you calling out to right now? Or what are you calling out to? in your distress, in your pain, in your sorrow. There's, loved ones, I don't know what you're going through, but I will say this with 100% confidence. There is only one who will answer you and set you free. There's only one who can. Look at verses six to seven. He continues to unpack it. The Lord is on my side. How comforting is that? I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side. Repeat it again. As my helper, I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. See, in looking back and seeing how the Lord answered his cry, the psalmist can clearly see now that the Lord is on his side and was helping or protecting him in the trial. This is a huge statement of confidence right here. I can look back and I can see God's deliverance. I can see his goodness and it may have hurt coming through it. It may have been very frightening for me, but I can look back and see it and I can confidently say, now the Lord is on my side. The Lord is on my side. That's confidence in the Lord. As such, the psalmist doesn't have to fear what any man could ever do to him or any future situation he would face. That's awesome. When you look back and you see the goodness of God on your life and you see the love that endures of God, that covenant has said love over your life, you recognize very quickly there is nothing. Everyone say nothing. Nothing that man can do to you. It's unbreakable. And this is a declaration of the ongoing attitude of confident expectation in the love and goodness of God that the psalmist was committing to. Notice, notice, okay, so we spent the first five, six verses reflecting. Now, just look at verse seven. The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look. Okay, what changed right there? He's not looking back now. He's looking forward. I shall look. See the expectation right there? It has changed. He's, he's able to look forward now because he's looked back. 
I shall look now. The confident expectation. And you'll see this on the screen. This hit me in prep this week. It said this. Remembering God's goodness and love for us in the past. Here it is. Gives us the faith in him. He'll deliver us in the future. When you can look back and see that in that trial right there, God was faithful. It may not have turned out the way I thought, but God was good. And it may have hurt, but God was good. He brought me through this and he's been faithful. I can now look forward and believe that he is able. This is why the enemy works so hard to get you to be distracted and stop resting and reflecting and turn on your phone and plug your ears with some, what do you call those things, earbuds. Just keep pounding the distraction in your life and don't rest and reflect on what God's done. And yet, if that is truly supposed to be helping us relax, then why are we a more stressed out culture and more grumpy culture than we've ever been? And more fearful culture. Because it doesn't work. We forget the truth so easily Like Romans 8.31, you'll see it here. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Yes, you may have recited that in Sunday school, and you may have that marked off and highlighted in your Bible, but do you truly believe that? That if God is for you, who can be against you? If you humble yourself under the authority of God, there is nothing that can touch you that can take you away from his presence, that can take his love away and break it. It is a Hesed covenant love for you, passionate. So question, do you truly believe in your heart that the Lord is on your side in that situation you're facing right now? That trial you're facing right now, do you truly believe that the Lord is on your side? Because it changes everything. See, we live in a culture, loved ones, that is absolutely gripped by fear. You notice that? We have a fear of anyone but God. And so many Christians, instead of having faith in the covenant love that God has for them and his ability to answer them when they call, they choose to live their lives in the slavery of fear, in thinking of all the things that could go wrong, all the things that man can do to them in the situation that they're facing. Proverbs 29, 25 addresses this very clearly when it says, the fear of man is a snare. A snare he's talking about there is like what they use for trapping animals. You know, with the spikes on it, animal steps in it, snare. That's the grip of fear on a heart. That's why Satan works so hard to make you afraid of everything and everyone. Because it's a snare. But the back half of that verse says, but those who trust in the Lord are safe. Are safe. And the truth is this, that in Jesus Christ, we no longer have to be enslaved to that fear of what can man do? The question now switches in our minds and in our hearts. We don't have to be enslaved by asking the question, well, what could man do in this situation? But we can now have the confidence to say, what can God do right now in this situation? Amen? That changes everything of how you engage it. It's no longer, what can man do to me? It's, what could God do right now? Take that into your workplace when you're sharing your faith tomorrow. Take that into your next family reunion. With the non-believers in your family who ostracize you and criticize you for your faith. With your unbelieving spouse. What can man do to me? No. No, wrong question. What can God do right now? Because of his unbreaking covenant love for me. So what are you calling out to in your distress? Where are you calling out right now? What are you calling out to? Here's why this question is so important. You'll see it on the screen. Because what we, take a note of this this week. When those trials hit, 
When those situations come in, when that anxiety or fear creeps in, take note of this. What you cry out to first is a clear indication of what we think will deliver us the most. What you and I cry out to first is the clearest indication of what we will think will deliver us the most. Do you cry out to the bottle? Do you cry out to food when you get stressed? How about retail therapy? How about, I just need my girl time or my guy time. I just need my alone time. No, you need your God time. What we cry out to first is a clear indication of what we think will deliver us the most. And there's only one that can set you free. And think about this. Okay, you maybe don't believe me on that. That's fine. That's your opinion on that. But check this out. Let's just go back for a moment. Think. If you're, if you're not calling out to the Lord in your distress right now, in that trial you're facing, your anxiety and your fear when it creeps in, if you're not calling out to him, I have a question for you. It's just quite simply this. Ready? Loved ones, look up here for a sec. I love the fact you're taking notes. Love it. Uh, how's that working for you? How's that working for you? Calling out to those other things to relieve your fear. Does it last? Does the fear keep coming back? You still get anxious about that stuff? Worry about that stuff? You're still grieving in that way? Is, that, is calling out to that helping you overcome your fear, anxiety, or pain? And growing you in your confidence in the Lord's ability to help you? Or is it actually taking your eyes off him? How's it working for you? There has never been, let's just break the ice on this. There has never been a person in human history, nor will there ever be, that will say, it's working great. Because it's never meant to. There was only one that was meant to. Calling out to anyone or anything else but God can only and will only lead you to further sorrow, sin, and separation from him. Nothing else can deliver you from your distress because nothing else was ever made to, no matter how much the world says it can. John 16, 33. How do we know this? Don't take my opinion for it. Let's ask Jesus. John 16, 33 says this. Jesus says, I have said these things to you, talking to his disciples, that in me, see that? Circle that in your Bibles. In me. In me, you may have peace. Not in your guy time. Not in your refrigerator. Not in your drugs. Not in your alcohol. Not in your spouse. In me, you may have peace peace. In the world, you get this, you will have trouble. When you pursue the confidence in the Lord, it doesn't mean you're not going to have trouble in your life. You will have tribulation. Here it is, but take heart, Jesus says, I've overcome the world. Break it down into layman's terms today, Jesus says, I got that. I got that. Are you in me that you may have peace? And if you're here and you have never confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are not in him. I wish in some sense I could just water it down and make you feel that it's just true. If you have never confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, repented of your sin, believed that he was the Son of God, came to earth, died on a cross to take your sin, rose again three days later to deliver you in freedom that you may receive his righteousness and forgiveness you are not in him. And you cannot have peace apart from him because it doesn't exist. There's no such thing. And some may say this, if you're here and you're a believer and you're like, I hear this and I want this, 
But here's the situation. I've called out to God, but he isn't answering and I don't feel him. What do you mean? He, this psalmist expressed so much confidence that he answered me. I've been crying out to God for years about that and it doesn't seem he's answering. Is he even listening? Okay, if that's you this morning, two things I want to say to you. Number one is this. Don't trust in your feelings. Feelings can make great followers, but they are horrible leaders. Don't trust in your feelings. Trust in his word. That's number one. God's working whether you feel it or not. Number two, I want to remind you that God's love for you and for his people is a covenant. A covenant. We call, he will answer. Every time, he will answer. It's a covenant love. It's not like a world covenant that makes marriage disposable and says when it doesn't work for you anymore, just get rid of it. God's love doesn't work like that. A covenant in God's kingdom lasts for eternity. We call, he answers in his time and in his way every time. And so if that's you this morning and you're feeling discouraged and you're feeling me down by that, loved one, here's the exhortation, trust him. He knows what he's doing. Look back and see his goodness. Look back and see his love towards you and let that fill you with faith right now that he is at work for his glory and your good. Keep drawing near to him in faith through his word, through prayer, through worship because here's the reality. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts but all his thoughts towards you are good and you need to know that and they are all out of a love for you, a covenant love for you that cannot be broken. And when the devil tries to put junk in your head that says you're unlovable, what's wrong with you? You go back to what God says about you. He says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I'm not breaking my end of the covenant. Don't move. Don't run away to those other things. I will answer. Hold on. Hold on. God's love for me never fails. I must give thanks to him for his goodness. I must call on him in my distress. And this leads us to our final point in realizing That God's love for me never fails. I must trust in him alone as my refuge. I must trust in him alone as my refuge. Look at verses 8 and 9. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. The Hebrew there for refuge is this, shelter, hope, or to put trust in. Let's reinsert it back in for clarity. It is better to take hope or put your hope and trust in the Lord rather than man. The psalmist finishes this section by stating that what now has become obvious, I pray to us, That in our distress, the only sure hope we can have is to put all of our trust in the Lord alone and not in any human power or method. In the Lord alone, no matter what he would face or how serious it was, the psalmist's hope would be in the Lord alone. He would choose in faith every time to abide in the only enduring, loving, and life-giving refuge we can have in this world that will always come through. That's freedom. That's what it means to have God as your refuge. And this week, I gotta tell you, it's been a hard week. Not just for me, but many of my fellow senior pastors in the fellowship. And uh, this truth hit home for me powerfully this week about having God as our only refuge. Uh, As I watched one of my dear brothers in the Lord and fellow senior pastor, Jamie Hart, from Harvest Bible Chapel, Fort Wayne. You'll see his picture of him and his family on the screen there. There's Jamie. Love you. And... uh, 
last Saturday, last Saturday night, him and his family awoke in the middle of the night as their house was burning down, along with everything they own. And we thank God for his goodness and that all of the family was able to make it out alive. Praise the Lord for his goodness. Amen. But I'm calling our church to pray for Jamie and his family because they have lost their home and almost everything they owned in a matter of hours. I would show you a picture of his house burning down, but out of respect for him, I didn't want to do that. It's still real. In a matter of hours, everything gone. And as I was wondering how they were coping with this, I was looking at some pictures that Jamie had posted on Facebook. And just a few days later, after this fire happened, I saw this on his profile. You see the next picture. And under it was the caption, Don't waste the trial. Don't waste the trial. And he had three hashtags under it that you will see now that completely humbled me and made this clear to me of having God as our refuge. Teach us, heal us, pressing on to know the Lord. Don't waste the trial. Teach us, Lord. Heal us. Lord, we're hurting, but we're pressing on to know you because you're the only refuge there is. Where else are we going to go? We've got nothing left. In the scripture, he said, so it was back and forth with him this week, the scripture that he said God put on his heart the morning after the fire that he read to his fam was this, Isaiah 43, 1-3, you'll see it on the screen. But now, says the Lord, he who created you, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You don't think God wants to speak to that trial you're in right now? There's no yeah, but God, Uh uh-uh. And if that wasn't enough, As I communicated with Jamie and asked this week if it would be okay for me to share this with you, you know what his first response was? Yes, brother, use it for his glory. Use it for his glory. He's back in the pulpit right now preaching, right now. This is the testimony of one whose refuge is in the Lord because this makes no sense on a human level. This has a supernatural act of God as the gospel changes a heart and we have Lord Jesus Christ as our refuge. Everything else gone. One thing remains. This makes no sense on a human level. You think that those things you're trusting in for refuge are going to give you strength, faith, and peace to respond like this? They won't. They can't. Here's the bottom line. Lord, loved ones, look up here. There is no comparison between the Lord's ability and man's. No comparison. Living by this truth changes everything about how we see the trials we face and God's ability to use them for his glory and show us his steadfast love in them. And too many trials, 
Too many trials are just wasted because we seek our refuge in things that cannot deliver. And instead of growing in the Lord and in the intimacy of his love for us, we pull further away from him by pursuing these other things as our refuge. Loved one, look up here. Ready? Don't waste the trial. Don't waste that trial you're in or will be going through soon. You will have it. The question should never be, how many trials have I been through? But rather, the real question is, how many of those trials have I allowed me to, have allowed me to lead me to him as my refuge? How many have I allowed to lead me to him? That's the question. Psalm 46, one says, God's our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, a very present help. He's very present with Jamie right now. He will be very present with you too because he promises to be. That's covenant love. Hey, I'm, not, I'm just too busy to deal with you right now. I got more issues over here with the other 7 billion people. He's like, no, I got that too. With God as our refuge, we'll close with this. Five things. Our fear is replaced with his faith. You'll see five scriptures on here. We're not going to go through them. You dive into them on your own this week. Trust me, you will be blessed. Our fear is replaced with his faith. With God as our refuge, our discouragement is replaced with his hope. With God as our refuge, our anxiety is replaced with his peace. With God as our refuge, our weakness is replaced with his strength. Every time, every time, never failing. Love to see the cameras taking pictures of that. Keep it, go back to it. And in the greatest act of love of all time, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to earth to die on the cross for our sin, was raised to life three days later so that all those who have repented of their sin and confessed him as their Lord and Savior, have been given a refuge who has promised to give us all we need, loved ones, for life and godliness, and who promises to love us with a covenant love that will not fail to answer us when we call to him in our distress, and who promises to be our refuge when we put our faith and trust in him alone. This is the only love that endures and never fails, and the question is, how will you respond to him today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, I lift up Pastor Jamie to you right now and his family as he's bringing your word so faithfully in that pulpit today. And pray for strength for him that you would continue to press in to know you. And I pray that for us here today. God, that as your spirit has been moving here, you would be revealing and illuminating areas of our lives that we're seeking refuge in that will not work, that will not give us the peace we're after, the satisfaction we're after, the love that we're seeking, none of it. And God, I pray that we would know, we would know, we would know without a doubt that it is always better to trust in the Lord than in man. That when we call on the Lord in our distress, he will answer. He will always answer because of a covenant love towards us. So Father, I pray right now as we sing this last song, God, this would be the anthem of our heart and you would fill us with faith. Fill us with faith and endurance knowing that our labor is not in vain. Knowing that you will always come through on your promises as we call out to you. May it be so, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.